0: Chapter Thirty One of the Romance of Modern Electricity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Modern Electricity by Charles R. Gibson. Chapter Thirty One Some Questions Answered. There are a great many points of importance which I have deemed it inadvisable to touch upon in the foregoing chapters because, to many readers, these would doubtless seem dry and uninteresting. It is, however, probable that in the minds of some readers there will be a desire for further explanation. And so I have thought it well to devote this chapter to answering such questions as might naturally arise. These few preliminary words will serve to mark this chapter as intended only for the latter. I think the first question would probably be regarding positive and negative electricities, the mention of which has been so scrupulously avoided in the whole of the preceding chapters. These are merely arbitrary terms, but they serve a very useful purpose, and part of the foregoing explanations might possibly have been made simpler by the use of these terms. But my experience has been that, to many people, these and kindred terms are rather a worry, hence my avoidance of them. These terms of positive and negative originated with the one-fluid theory of electricity, in which the plus sign was used to indicate an excess of the supposed fluid and the minus sign a deficiency, the earth being taken as zero, or we might say as the electrical sea level. These terms have really no connection now with the idea of more and less. We have direct evidence that there are two distinct kinds of electricity. The general reader will be interested in these terms in their connection with electric currents, rather than as regards electrified bodies, so I will merely deal with them in the former connection. We form a mental picture of the electric current flowing from the positive pole of a battery or dynamo, round the circuit, through the lamps, etc., and back to the negative pole. In a simple battery cell, we speak of the current passing from the carbon connection through the connecting wire to the zinc element and so we call the carbon the positive pole and the zinc the negative pole. In a dynamo, the position of the poles is according to the direction of winding the coils. It is easy to discover in which direction a current is flowing in a wire by its magnetic influence on a neighboring compass needle. If the wire carrying the current be placed over the compass needle, which is pointing north and south, and when the current passes, the needle turns its north pole to the east, then we know the current is flowing in the direction from north to south. Of course, the magnetic needle need not be placed in its natural position, as in a compass. It may be mounted on its center in an upright position at the back of a dial, as in a galvanometer, and the indicator on the face moving with the magnet will show its movements falling to one side or the other according to the direction in which the current is sent through the coil surrounding the magnet. It was recognized by some of the earliest workers that there were two distinct kinds of electricity. Later workers departed from this idea. Indeed, it is not so long since some of the foremost scientists of our day thought for a time that electricity was not a real thing, but that electric currents and electric charges were merely phenomena in the ether of space. We have direct evidence now that electricity is a real existing thing. I was very much amused in overhearing some remarks which passed between two gentlemen in a public conveyance. One asked the other how it was that a person might walk along the rails of an electric tramway and yet not receive a shock from the dynamo to which they are connected. His friend's reply was that the rails only carried negative electricity, which was quite harmless, and that it was the positive electricity carried by the trolley wire that killed. This gentleman would doubtless have been surprised— if he had been told that a tightrope dancer could walk along the trolley wire with as little fear of electrocution as upon the rails. The space between the overhead wire and the rails is just like a break in the circuit through which the current flows from one brush of the dynamo to the other. When the car comes along, it closes the circuit, allowing the current to flow down the trolley pole through the motor and away back to the dynamo by the rails. If a person gets in contact with the rails and the overhead wire, owing to the falling of the ladder, then the person becomes part of the electric circuit and receives a fatal shock. If the person is not on the rails but on the ground, when the overhead wire touches him, he will undoubtedly receive a shock, but the resistance to the current will be so much greater that no very serious injury is likely to be done. The tramway motormen are supplied with rubber gloves, with which they may handle a live wire in the event of its coming down. Their duty is to place the end of the wire on one of the rails, whereupon the current is given such an easy path, allowing so great a rush of current that the safety devices at the power station come into action and automatically cut off the current. It may have occurred to some to wonder what amount of current really does kill even nowadays when very occasionally one comes across some elderly lady or gentleman who fears that death may result from an ordinary battery current. I have fallen in with two such cases quite recently. But with the widespread use of electricity, such mistaken ideas cannot survive long, even in distant rural districts. Many of us, when youngsters, were informed that birds were often electrocuted by resting on the ordinary telegraph wires. While it is true that a great number of birds are found lying dead immediately below telegraph lines, it is generally known now that their death has been brought about by sudden collision with the wire, against which they have accidentally flown. Hence, the little pieces of wood one often sees fastened to telegraph wires in the country are there to attract the attention of the birds to the presence of the wire. From what has already been said regarding the trolley wires, it will be clear that That even if a bird were to rest on a live wire, as one sometimes does see on a country road along which a tramway runs, the bird receives no shock, the bird not forming part of an electric circuit. Even now, one often finds some people afraid lest they may receive a fatal shock if handling the connections of an ordinary glow lamp. Of course, this is impossible, and yet one knows that fatal shocks may be received from the conductors for arc lighting. Where, then, is one to draw a distinctive line? The current supplied for domestic lighting is at a low pressure, which cannot possibly do any serious hurt, but it is not entirely a case of pressure. For a person may receive, without injury, a high-frequency current from an induction coil, etc., with a pressure of many thousands of volts. In the case of high-frequency currents, the amount of electricity is very small. At a pressure of 100,000 volts, the current may only be about one thousandth part of an ampere, although I have seen a medical friend receive as much as one two hundredth part of an ampere, or five milliamperes. The current that will pass through any body depends upon the resistance it offers, as well as the pressure of the current applied. Fortunately, the resistance of the human body is very high, being estimated at about ten thousand ohms. But if a person grasp two metal conductors, the resistance from one hand to the other through the body may only be from 1 to 3,000 ohms. If some vital part of the body offer 1,000 ohms resistance to a current at 500 volts, then half an ampere current will pass through it, and this may be termed a current that kills. I know of a recent case where a workman accidentally touched two terminals of a machine, receiving current at 500 volts, and he was immediately killed. But in this case, there was very little resistance offered to the passage of the current, as the man's head touched both terminals. The current for domestic purposes is supplied at a pressure of about 250 volts, so the human body is a safe resistance against this current. There is no doubt that some of the fatalities from electric shock are really due to the accompanying nervous shock. There were some interesting experiments made recently relative to the conductivity of the human body, and it was found by means of very delicate indicating apparatus that the electrical resistance of the same person was continually varying. It would oscillate even if a third person entered the room during the experiment, and quite a marked difference was obtained by a change of diet. I quote two results which were given in a continental journal, as these seem of interest to the general reader. Quote Any sensation or psychical emotion of some strength will reduce instantaneously the resistance of the human body down to a value three to five times less, unquote. Quote, Nervous persons, as well as heavy smokers and drinkers, are found to have an exceedingly low electric resistance. Unquote. The first of these two quotations seems to me to have a definite bearing upon fatal shocks. There is often an alarming display of flashes when a conductor breaks, and in this way the normal resistance of the human body may be very greatly reduced, owing to unusual alarm and nervousness. It is well to know that apparent death from electric shock is sometimes only suspended animation, as is the case in drowning, so that artificial respiration should be tried. One used to hear people laying stress upon the great risk accompanying the use of overhead electric wires in connection with tramway systems. That there is no real cause for alarm, provided proper care is taken, is evident from the experience of Glasgow. This great center of industrial activity adopted the overhead wire system in 1900, and by 1910 there was in use about 190 miles of overhead wire. During all these years, there was not a single fatality caused by the breakdown of an overhead wire. End of chapter 31